0: So today's topic is one, in a certain sense, that could take many, many weeks. And the way that I want to present it is in a very condensed form, focused on something very practical, which could be a total disaster. So if you walk out of here saying this was a train wreck, I'm, I'm just warning you, it might be. Well, but it might not. Again. This <laughs> might work out. So I want to talk about a specific set of practices of things that we do, very practical, not talking about the development of halacha, just getting to the practice of it with with a deeper appreciation. Because these are things that we need to do every single Shabbos, but we also need to have a, an appreciation for them. <coughs> if you think about what is the the most impactful, or the, the, the strongest, or the largest, most consequential transformation of any activity of the 39 malachos, the one we're going to talk about today is probably the biggest. Other than not using yourself. Right, that's exactly, other than not using yourself, which is not a malachom. This malacha. The reason why I say this is because this malacha is one of the is one of the few malachos, and this one is categorically, consequentially, much, much bigger, where we utilize and we leverage an existing force. Now, last week we talked about how sometimes when you utilize another force, a kohachachem urubo, that's not a malacha, but in this case. The whole essence of the malachah is leveraging a force. And whenever you leverage a force, you are obviously able to impact something that is much greater than yourself. If If you weave, so you have two hands, and you take two pieces of string or whatever, and you weave them together with a warp and a woof. So you make a piece of clothing, how much can you do? How expansive can that be? To the extent, whatever you have in your two hands, that's how much energy you can introduce to that. But there's one malacha, and this malacha of course existed in the Mishkan, it's an av malacha. This malacha, the potential is much bigger, it's exponential because you are by definition, Harnessing a koach acher muuravbo, another existing force, a natural force that exists in the world. And that's the malacha of mavashel, of cooking. Think about that. When you cook, what are you doing? You're setting up a situation, right? like the Rambam describes, one person is going to bring wood, another person is going to bring a pot, a third person is going to bring water, a fourth person is going to bring fish, they're going to assemble all the ingredients, another person is going to light the fire. And who eats and what's Somebody that? <laughs> Someone's going to eat it afterwards, hopefully, but not on Chavez. That process leads to the total transformation of the food, but that happens because you harnessed the power of the fire. The ish that's where the Koach is to create the Bishel. And that's why it could be so much more impactful than you. Now, today, we don't think about this sometimes because we can use machinery to, to magnify our impact. But in the time of the Mishkan, where they didn't utilize complex machinery, so then how do you magnify your impact? It was through fire. Because through fire, you can cook, you can transform so much more than what you would ordinarily be able to accomplish with just your ten fingers. And what you do with that fire totally transforms the item. Right? The fire is itself, it's not you, it's a natural thing. When we were kids, we used to go to the science center in Baltimore, so they used to have one of those demonstrations. So I still remember, fire is three things, right? It's fuel, it's oxygen and it's energy. That's what it is. It's not me, but, it's but if you put those things together, you have combustion. You have a fire. And that fire, when you harness it, you affect a substantial change. And the Rama points out that this idea of affecting change through a fire, it's true for food, but it's also true for non food If you take something which is a non-food item like a metal and you heat it up to a very, very high degree and the metal becomes pliable, it becomes red hot, that's also a kind of bishel. It's a kind of cooking. Because you've transformed the substance. When it comes to bishel, even bishel itself, what does heat do? We don't often think about this, but conceptually, what's happening when you cook something? So the Rambam underscores and many achronim discussed this, that when you cook, you take something which is hard and make it soft. Or you take something which is soft and you make it hard. So you take a carrot. A raw carrot is very hard. And then you cook it and it becomes soft. This is true also for hilchos brachos, that when you cook something, potentially, depending on the nature of the vegetable, you change the bracha. You've transformed it. Or you take a piece of chicken which in its raw state is soft, and what happens when you heat it up? It becomes hard. That is a total transformation of the item. You transform the item through your use of heat. So the heat becomes your tool, your, your method of transforming this item. It's interesting to think about. Then, just by the way, parenthetically, we're not going to discuss the svarichos. But how would you identify the action for the purposes of Shabbos? Is the action of cooking the placement of the of the food item in a place where it will cook, or is it the transformation of the food itself, or is it both? Here's an afgamina of that. What happens if I have an oven that's on and Oish Shabbos is 6.04 and at 6.01 I stick something in the oven? When does it cook? I don't know, 6.15. It actually transforms the item. Are you chayv on Shabbos for that? Do you say, well, I put it, I did the meiser on Shabbos, but the heftzer, the entity, wasn't transformed. That's a big machlokas nachronim. It's interesting when you look at the Rambam, which if we had maybe five, six hours, I would Xerox all the Rambams, the Rambam has different interesting cases where you get the impression that you could potentially have two different aspects of bishul. You could have a Hefza which is transformed, where the shear is going to be a composite of a little action, a little amount which is cooked here and a little amount which is cooked there and a little amount which is cooked here and you put it together versus when you do the action of cooking which is all in one place. But we're oscillating between this idea of you're the doer and the item is being transformed. But of course, that's the main the main focus. Whether or not you're telling me that I'm chayav, I'm liable, that I check the box when I put it in the oven or when the thing becomes transformed the whole idea is that the thing is going to become transformed. Because if you pull the food out before it gets cooked, you are definitely not chayv. Everyone will agree to that. Right? Even the machlokas about the the putting it in the oven at 6 in the afternoon on Shabbos afternoon, right before Shabbos is over, if you pull it out before it cooks, you're definitely not chayv. That's Shabbos, daftalad. Because even if the the way that you violate it is your doing, but the key to the malacha, the actual malacha is the transformation that's happening. So we don't think about that so much, but this idea that our harnessing of the power of ish, of fire, is what affects this major transformation. And in most cases, by the way, this is irrevocable which is why it's so consequential. You cannot uncook a piece of chicken, right? (coughs) This is part of the whole discussion. There's a huge discussion, which we'll allude to a little bit later, about the idea of bishel, achar, bishel, subsequent cooking, and the difference between a solid and a liquid. And some achronim even suggests maybe the difference between different kinds of liquids. So, for example, let's say bishel on ketchup... Once you cook the ketchup, you can't uncook it. But maybe there's a difference between ketchup and water. Because maybe there's a, there's a distinct definition of Bishel on water, that the Bishel of water, cooking water, is just heating it till it's going to be good for tea. You know, that's one transformation. And then there's cooling it down. So maybe then, reheating it, then maybe there's Bishel Acha on water, because you did actually undo the cooking with water. So each of these, that's something to think about when you when you go through all the different makoros and the sugyas in the world of Bishol, is what's happening, what's being transformed. But if you stick with a davar Yavish, which is the simplest case, a hard item, you cannot uncook the carrot that you cooked. It never is going to lose those properties. You can't uncook the chicken. That is a permanent transformation that took place through the Eish. That's a Dover kayama. That's very consequential. It's so powerful. And so when we think about this idea and realizing that using fire is able to transform an item and it transforms it in such a fundamental way that it never returns to its original state. Right? The, the, the potatoes never, you can never undo the kugel on many levels. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Right? It's, it's irrevocable. So we mentioned this safer once in the past. This is the Yichur HaShabbos. This is the collection of teachings on Shabbos from Rev. Avram Tzvi Kluger. He has an awesome ha'ara about this. Awesome ha'ara. That this idea of utilizing fire, Aish, to transform something, it's reflective of an inner idea in our own lives. Which is, when we are passionate about something... We transform ourselves. And specifically in the idea in the in the realm of Kedusha, of our spiritual growth, that by nurturing the inner ish that a person has, that is a transformational activity. It's a fascinating way of thinking. So this past, yesterday we read Parsha Shkolim. So I saw last week, I get on WhatsApp these little videos from a Melech Biederman. He's a big mashpia in Israel. He's amazing. He's wild. You know, he's, there are like four-minute clips from the shir. He speaks for an hour and a half, whatever, in some place. He's running around Israel. He's speaking. He has the whole, the peylech and the beard, and, and the, the, the coffee cups are coming every ten seconds and hot water. If you ever see this, while vaping and talking and yelling, and it's unbelievable, changing his hat and adjusting his yarmulke. It's amazing. It's like, a, it's like an explosion of energy on the screen. It's unbelievable. Sir Melech last week, he had a vart for Parshash Shkolem, he says, you know, the Medrash, he says it's a strange Medrash. The Medrash says that Moshe Rabbeinu, wasn't sure what, what's going on here with this parsha of shkolim What does that mean? So the Rebbeinu Shalom says, don't worry, I'll show you a matbea shel eish. Mitachas kisi I'll show you a coin that's made out of fire. So he quoted from some Jerusalem. What does that mean, Moshe Rabbeinu? He didn't know what a coin looked like? He didn't know what a machziz a shekel looked like? And the Rebbeinu Shalom has to show a e matbea shel eish. And, apparently, the Reboshom keeps the matbeah shaleish, he keeps the coins under the kisei ha-kava, so to speak. What does he have, like, you know like, uh, you know, like a little drawer who has coins that are made out of fire? So what says, <coughs> he said last week, he says, what he was telling Moshe Rabbeinu is that it's not the money that you give. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, what does it mean? People are going to give a machzis, a shekel, they're going to give... 50 cents, and that's supposed to be a big deal? That's gonna be co-fornapshaw, that's gonna be something that's so significant. Why are you telling them that? What does that mean? Sr. So Bhosham showed him a madbea shal eish. He showed him a coin that was made out of fire, of enthusiasm, of passion. He says that's what matters. Just give them something that everybody can do. Everybody can afford fifty cents, bar Hashem. everybody can afford a chamach sah shekel. Ever can afford. Happens to be the Mishnayos say that what later in, in the wealthy era, they actually increased the amount that people gave every year because people could afford it. But initially, everybody should give half a dollar, whatever, with half a sh- you know shekel. So he's saying to the Rosh Hashanah. Rosh was saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not the money; it's how passionate you are. So if you give that machzah shekel with hislavos with aish then that's coming from Tachas Kisei That is the energy, so to speak, that comes from the Reboshim himself. But if you give it like, whatever, so it doesn't matter how much you give. That's the Amalek of Asher Karcha, it's cold. It's heartless. It's the Koach of the Aish. And Rav Kluger's point is, is that the, when we nurture, the Eish is what transforms us. You could do a ton of mitzvahs, but if you do those mitzvahs without any hislavos, it doesn't have that transformation. It doesn't have that effect on you. You did the mitzvah, shkoyach. So you were a raw chicken before and you are a raw chicken afterwards. You're just a raw chicken that did five mitzvahs. But what makes you into a cooked chicken? Right? What's the transformation? Mrs. Greenfield, you like this muscle. I'm, I'm not talking about you per se. Right? What is it that has the effect on the person? Rav Kluge says that's the, that's the H, that's the fire. That's what creates the transformation. And then you can take this further, he points out. There's a din. You can't cook in a cliché. You don't cook in a secondary vessel. Now there are exceptions to that rule. Things Certain things that do cook in a cliché. But why is it that you can't cook something in a cliché? What's the What's the messaging there? You can't have somebody else affect inspiration and change in you. People surround us and say, Rabbi, inspire me. The school has to inspire my kid. Right? I'm going to... Someone else has to inspire me. That's a cliche me. That's somebody else. The only way for a person to be inspired is to choose to lean in to become a kli rishon, you have to decide. I want to take this inspiration and start learning dafyomi, right? You had to choose that. You had to become the kli rishon to learn the dafyomi. You're now the kli rishon. That's going to affect you. But to know that there's a dafyomi shir out there, or there's a chavetz chaim lima that people are doing, whatever it is, if you don't choose to engage it, it's not going to be mavasho It's not going to affect you. It's going to always remain on the periphery. Clichene is not mavasho It's also interesting that there are other ways of heating things up. You can put an egg, you go to the Mojave Desert in the summertime, you put an egg on the floor and it will transform but the Gemara says that's not bishul, not bishul. That's called bishul bechamah, but <coughs> that's not cooking on Shabbos. To put it actually in the sun is hetagomer bishul bechamah mamish. Now, if you take an aluminum pan and heat it in the sun, that's called toldos bechamah. That's not a good thing to do, but that's not real bishul beemis. That's gzeira. It looks like you cooked in a frying pan that was heated in the, in the fire, so you're not allowed to cook in the frying pan that was heated by the sun either. But there are a lot of different ways that light can come into our world and heat can come into our world but there's no substitute for actual fire for actual combustion it's not metaphorical when you think about what it is that we're trying to accomplish in life and how we're trying to grow closer to Hashem and bring Hashem into the world there's no substitute than actual hislavus than actual enthusiasm all the other things they're not it's not real. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be actual fire. It's got to be real fire. So I'll give you just one analogy to this, a far-off analogy, but it's the same kind of thing. There is a din, there is a din in halacha that you're not allowed to, <coughs> you're not allowed to be drunk and even slightly inebriated when you daven. So Rav Cook has a comment in this Gemara in the in Einaya the where Rav Cook points out that you might have thought that it would be a great idea for a person to drink before davening because then they lose some of their sechel from their cognitive, and they're going to focus on their experience, on their feeling, right? So if Cook says that's not, that's not a good idea because feelings and emotions without direction from the seichel, they run wild. He says it's not authentic, so another way of saying this is that inorganic foreign stimulants, so whether it's, you know, hallucinogenic mushrooms or wine or whatever it is before davening, that's not inherent authentic Bishel. That's not inner spirituality. That's Bishel Bahama. That's using something else to try to, to get you going. That's not, that's not authentic Bishel. Authentic Bishel comes from the inside, comes from the actual fire. It's the same way. There's actually a big machlokas. Whether or not Bishel in a microwave is an Isidar or is an Isidar Rabbanon. is that you shouldn't cook in a microwave in man of shach. But let's say if it's for a Chola, God forbid, a person's sick and they're not a Chola shishbo But, you know, there's sometimes you have to know what's Dar or what's darabanan. But the idea that we need to decide to be a Kli Rishon. And what's interesting is that According to, <clears throat> according to the Babli, which is the way we paskin, a Kli reshon, so let's say you have a soup pot. So Friday afternoon, you have the pot of soup on the fire. Then you take the pot of soup and you take it off the fire. The soup is still very hot, but it's not on the fire itself. So we paskin, that if you were to take, I don't know, a raw carrot and stick it in that soup, even when the fire is off, it's still mavashal. Why is it still mavashal? Because it encountered the fire. Once you encounter the fire, you can keep it going. You keep it going. So let's say you had a davening that was mamish on fire, but you're not going to stay in shul in Yom Kippur. Like, you're going to go home and eat, eat breakfast, right? But that's okay. Because once you had that encounter with the fire, you could take it with you. If you had an authentic, essential aish, even if you're not on the aish now, it still influences you. It still transforms you. The person who, I mean, not everybody's at this level, but the person who had an amazing aish experience of Shahris, when they interact with a coworker at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they're still a kli rishon from the aish, And they act in a different way. Halavai, we should be at that level. I'm sure many people at this table are at that level. I'm probably not at that level yet. But that's an interesting idea as well. And that's the last thing I wanted to delete on this point, which is that just being in the presence of the Aish for five minutes can change your whole life. You always come back to that. You have that Friday night at, at uh, I forget what what's the place we went to, you told us, notes. we went there, You Umamish. You can always go back to that in your mind's eye on Friday nights. You, once you had that Ish, you felt it, you know what it is, you can always be Makusha to that Ish. And that's why there's an interesting, it's a whole discussion in, in Yerodea, which is, it's not the same as Hochul but it's a lot related. You know, if you have you have a pot on the, the, the Truma Hadesha discusses, you have a pot that's bubbling over with with the meatballs, and the sauce flows over from one, you know, flows over the pot from one pot, and then it kind of dribbles along, and then for some reason, someone is making mac and cheese on the next Burner and it touches the pot. So, so the um, German Sedition says, Well, you're going to treat that flow, you're going to treat it like a clearishum because it's still connected to the original ish. It's not nifzakaki luach. So the idea that you can still be connected to the original ish even if you're. Pot is not on the fire. And then even when you pour it out, Eeroy, there's a big machlukis, whether Eri is Kaklivishin or Kaklishani, but you know, you can always come back to the Aish. When did we have that experience of Aish in our lives? Whenever we had it, we were transformed by it, and we can come back to it. So now, with that hakdama, we can now understand perhaps not just why this is so important and consequential as Amalacha, and what it says about our Avodah has Hashem, but also understanding why when it translates into food, it's also so significant. Because food, the act of eating, is a very important indicator of where we are and where we're going spiritually. Because food is one of the things that we have in common with the rhinoceroses and the ostriches, and all the other interesting things that they have in the zoo, or the squirrels that are, you know, outside in this weather, I don't know why the squirrels don't migrate. Do they, I don't know, they didn't get the memo, they should go with the birds. They they shouldn't hang around over here in the wintertime, it's not an Eitzah. But the idea is, (coughs) so, the idea is that when it comes to Shabbos, food is very, of course, central when it comes to the Shabbos experience. Three meals of Shabbos, Plus, the Shulchan says a person is supposed to wash from Malavamalka, Malka, say goodbye to Shabbos. And how are we supposed to experience those, those meals, that, that eating? We call it onek Shabbos. It's supposed to be enjoyable meals. It's not just supposed to be a tuna sandwich for a Friday night suda. It should be a nice meal. Onek Shabbos, proper enjoyment of the meal. Ah, then kach, when it comes to Hilchah Shabbos, the Rush, Rabbi asher ben Yechiel, writing 750 years ago, says, you know, we have a big machlokas, we're going to talk about it in a little bit, just rashi prakim, big machlokas about how to paskin on, on, <clears throat> on a question of when do we shift from being cooked to not being cooked, when do we worry about blechs and not blechs, the Rush has a line, the third paragraph of Shabbos, the Rush says 700 years ago, Yisrael adukim mitzvos onik Shabbos. The Jewish people, we love the mitzvah of onig Shabbos. We love Cholent. It becomes part of the Shabbos experience. So he says, you can't, don't, don't start, you're not going to be, you can't get away with being machmer on everybody for this. They're, they're Cholent, don't start off with the Cholent. They want to be a like Hananya. they're going to be a like Hananya. Don't start off with everybody. Why? Because Onik Shabbos is a big part of Shabbos. So how, how do we see this? So first of all, I once heard a vart from someone, I don't know where it is, but it was an awesome, awesome vart. How do you know whether you're eating is owning Shabbos, or you're eating, is just because you're a foodie and you like food. So someone once said, I don't remember where I heard this, but it was a beautiful, beautiful line. Would you enjoy this as much if somebody else had it? Meaning, am I enjoying it because I'm eating it? But let's say I have London Broil. I have a delicious London broil, and by the way, I have a good recipe for this. It was rosemary and soy sauce; very good. Grilled, you cut it up, covered Shabbos or Yontif. So I'm enjoying this. But what if you told me I could give this this London broil, this roast, to someone at the Ark who doesn't have Shabbos food? If when you're eating, you would be just as happy if that person who doesn't have low lenu, they can't afford, then that's Mitzvah's Onik Shabbos. I thought it was a beautiful part. I don't remember where I saw that, but it's a Kedai thing to think about. Because, Taka, you know, when I'm eating the Kugel, is this like the biggest, holiest Onik Shabbos, or is it just because I like Kugel, and I could be, you know, fressing just for the sake of fressing? So that's one level. But then there's a further level. If you look in his, in his commentary on the, on the Tanya, that Rabbi Steinsaltzichon Levracha, he points out, and he explains it in English, which is helpful, he points out that there are different aspects of eating. One aspect of eating is eating for the purpose of having nourishment to do the Ratzon of HaKadosh Baruch Because right? anytime you do something, if it's looked at through a spiritual lens, you have to ask, why? Why am I doing this? This is the Simon Sinek Torah, begin with why. That's why the beginning of Chumash starts with the letter bays. Bez, Bez, Bishvil. So that's the question what's the reason for this? Why? So why am I eating? So if a person is eating because they like food, okay, maybe. But if a person is eating, maybe there's a higher level. They're eating because they want to have koach to, I don't know, put on tefillin, to say tehillim, to learn Shabbos candles, to, to learn Torah, to eat light Shabbos candles, to help somebody, do chesed, to fuel their life of avodas HaShem. That's a higher level. But then there's even a higher level which is that the food which sustains us is the energy that Hashem is giving us. And the more, imagine somebody when they put a piece of food in their mouth and they say, Baruch atta, they realize, wow, Hashem is giving me this energy. And I'm now alive, connected through and thanks to the aura of Hashem. That's even higher level. And then you can even go to a higher level that the presence of Hashem is with us you know, like the Malachim scored us home Friday night, we say, Shalom Aleichem. We're literally eating with the Shalom Kivyachol. We're eating in the presence of Hashem. And there are Madregos and Madregos, so many different levels and aspects of this idea of food. So the of Bishol and Shabbos, not only does it teach us about the power of Aish to transform, it also reminds us that what we're eating is potentially a vehicle for so much Kedusha. And then think about, I'm sure we ran, if we ran around the table, you could come up with so many ways in which food creates Kirish Hashem, how it brings Ruchnias into the world. When you provide food. Remember years ago we did we did during COVID those Shabbos packages? It was unbelievable. When you provide food for somebody, it's Mamish Mechaya. Think about the Hachnas Orchim. Think about how many people have become connected. What did the Rabbi Buchwald? Shlita, what did he, he used to say in the Lincoln Square? He used to say, you don't inspire somebody to, to reconnect with and experience and explore their Judaism through, is my words, through like teaching them you inspire them by giving them a piece of chicken on a Friday night where they feel the, the presence of their bosom at your table. So food is such, and that's why there are laws about Bishalakam and tons of, food is such a powerful thing. So now, with this Takdama, we can understand why Chazal are super sensitive when it comes to the Melacha of Bishol. We don't have a ton of gazeros in the Melacha of Ose Shnei Bate setting up your loom. It's not, it's, that's not a big concern. But when it comes to Bishol, we know that where we started, that with Eish, you can do a lot. And so, potentially, you could harness that Eish on Shabbos and transform everything very quickly if you harness the Eish. Put that oven on 450, you could do a lot in a very short amount of time. Turn up the, the stovetop to maximum, you could do a lot. And, of course, Shabbos, it's not Shabbos if you don't have proper food. So Of course, we want to prepare before. And we need to prepare before. It's a mitzvah to prepare before. But if a person didn't prepare before, there's a very, very high, I don't want to say likelihood, but there is a serious concern that they may they may come to violate Shabbos. I remember a couple months ago, so I put up the chalent on Friday afternoon, but I didn't pay attention to the knob. And I'm not going to make any accusations of who was responsible for moving the knob during the week from where I left it the previous Friday? But come Friday night, guess what I see over there? It is off. Oh, right, it's that horrible, depressing feeling. And then you start going through your mind, like, what can I do? Can I call a non-Jew? No, you can't, because it's Bishalakim. I don't even have a non-Jew. And, how, and, and then how am I going to feed the guests? And what the chalent and the meat is going to be spoiled? And it's the worst. You it's the worst. All the place to go. Exactly. You knock on the neighbor's door. Epis you have? Episode. So there's, there's a, what's, what the Yetzirah says, the Yetzirah says, you got, you got to fix this chalent. There's a big Yetzirah to fix that chalent. Right? Because of course, when we go back to the whole idea of malacha, it's that we feel that everything is done. When Shabbos starts, everything is done. Everything is done. We're good. We're perfect. So we don't need to do any more creative action. But now, now it's, it's not okay. So this is very, very, very serious. For that reason, Chazal said they understood that we want to lean in so much to the mitzvah of Shabbos. And with the power of fire, you can do something that it will transform something in a very short time. They instituted several xeros restrictions, that we have to be concerned about. So we're going to spend just the next few minutes reviewing what you have on your page. I called it the hot take. I learned about that term this year. So play on words. Bishel on Shabbos. What are the things that we need to know about practically so that we can observe this mitzvah, this mitzvah of Onik Shabbos, without running afoul of the malacha of bishul? And we're going to expand the malacha of bishul. So let's, we're going to go through this from a Shabbos schedule perspective, starting on Friday afternoon through Shabbos day. And this is, the, this is the least exhaustive presentation you will ever have on the dinam of cooking on Shabbos. If you want more about this, So in in Smeich, I think it was for many years with Rabbi Willig, this is Rabbi Willig's Sefer on the laws of cooking and warming food on Shabbos. This is one of many excellent works. This is an entire Sefer just about these topics. You're talking about thousands of makoros that we're going to distill just into a uh, sketch. And what I'm presenting today, this is not authoritative. This is not the psa kalacha. You have to ask your local orthodox rabbi. But these are some of the principles, practical principles, to be aware of. So the first is that Chazal said, wait a second, we pointed out we're worried that if your challenge is off, you might you might come to adjust it. Or, better yet, we don't think that you're actually going to turn on a fire on Shabbos, but if you have a pre-existing fire, you might raise it because you want to get your food cooked quicker. Come, you come home Friday night. You have, let's say, a Suda Shabbos. And you, you expect that there's going to be, I don't know, there's going to be chicken for Friday night Suda. But somebody got busy or whatever. They only put the chicken in an hour before Shabbos. And this particular recipe, it needs two hours to cook. So now you come home from shul and you've got a half hour to go. But you have either older people there or children or people. you know You can't wait around, whatever. It's late. It's early. And so what are we concerned? That the oven's on 350 and you're going to crank it up to 450 and you're going to hasten the cooking of the chicken. That's a big problem. Now, is that going to be visual da That's a big question because there are going to be different stages of your food. Right? You start where the cook food is cooked 0% and then at some point it's going to get cooked to 100% and there's going to be a range but we don't want you to be playing with your food. So if you you are obviously you are obviously somebody who Shomer Shabbos Kados Mechalolo. You of course want to remember to observe Shabbos fully. You just get carried away. Some of us know how this is. You get, you get nervous. You get carried away. But what if I do something that will either remind you not to play with the oven, not to turn up the stove, or better yet, it's going to make it inaccessible. So that's so, why we do... Oh, excellent. This we do exactly. The taping, the knobs, the covering, the fire. Where does this come from? In the old days, if you cooked in a coal wood burning oven, so you had hot coals and that was providing, like in the fancy, the artisan pizza shops, sometimes they do this. They have a wood burning oven. But what if you took soot or dust and you covered the coals in the oven? It would not only remind you not to cook. It would make it inaccessible. You're not going to start digging, you're going to say, oh, I'm not going to start stoking the coals, because you know when you make a barbecue, remember the old barbecues we used to have coals, when you stoke the coals, it shoots up the heat. So you're not going to do that. That was called in the time of the Gemara, Garof Vakatum. Either you scrape out all the coals, Grufa, you just scrape them out, and there's nothing to, to stoke anymore. Or you cover them with, with soot, so that was the best way to remind you. So today, we're going to say you need to cover the heating element and some can will say you also need to tape the knobs to make sure it's going to remind you. We're not khushid, God forbid, that somebody is a Shabbos violator. They're not going to turn on the oven. We're Khushi that they're going to be so rushed they're not going to be paying attention and out of habit, out of panic, they're going to turn the knobs. So if you cover the flame, that's God's great invention of tinfoil. So, this is the first thing. This is actually one of the few gzeiras, few restrictions, that applies to sheva al Tasa when you're not doing anything. Right? Think about it. Chazal usually, when they make gzeira they say, don't do something. Don't do business on Shabbos. Don't make deals on Shabbos. Don't carry in the mm-hmm. carmelists. Don't do something. Here, what are they telling you? They're telling you, do not be in a situation where your food is on a fire and there is the potential you might come to play with it, to heat to heat it up. You're actually not doing anything. You could violate the Dindar Abana by doing nothing. That's the special Gazer. We call that Shihia, leaving it on there. So what are we concerned about with Shihia? Shema Yechata, maybe you're gonna stoke the coals. So it depends. If you have food which is fully cooked and it's maxed out, it's totally completely cooked. Is there any reason to think that you're gonna start turning up the heat on totally fully cooked food? No. So then you don't have to worry, you don't need any tin foil, you're all good. But let's say the food is what we call Machel Ben Machel Ben Mahobenrusai, I don't know who this guy is, Ben Drusai, but he is one of the most famous Talmudic personalities. He must have had some Zhuyas because he was a gangster. He was a gangster. His name was Ben Soy, And yet, he's one of the most famous people in Shas because he would eat food always on the run. And so he wouldn't wait till his food was fully cooked. He would eat it just partially cooked. And that was enough. That was enough for this gangster, Ben Soy. So if the food is cooked enough for Ben Drusoy, min ha-Torah, that's a significant amount because it is transformed. It is edible. Question is, when you cook it from Ben Soy. Beyond that, right, so how does that work in terms of bishalakum? There's more to say about this. But at least once it's cooked, Ben Drusai, there's a machlokas we've shown, whether that's one-third cooked or one-half cooked. But at least then, your food is cooked. Menatora, your food is cooked. So, once your food is cooked, do we have to be concerned that you're going to continue to turn it up? So MP, we would say, most preferred, is cover your flame, we want to be concerned, make sure that you're not going to. However, in need, I-N is in case of need, then you don't have to worry. This is the machlokis between the Chachamim and Hananya that we talked about earlier. It's two different ways of reading Gemara in the beginning of the third parak of Shabbos. It's discussed in the, earlier in the Masech of Shabbos. Do you have to worry about covering your flame if the food is not fully cooked? Because min torah it's already cooked after macho ben rusai. But everybody agrees, if you put the food in, And it's only partially cooked. It's not yet one third or one half cooked. You must cover the flame. However, if the food is totally raw, it's called kederachais. So you put it right in right before Shabbos. You don't have to cover the flame. Why not? What's the logic? Why you're not going to turn it up? Because it has hours to go. Bingo! Because it's going to take you hours anyway. There's no chance you're going to eat it tonight. It's so raw, even if you turn it up to 4.50, the chicken's not going to cook in 30 minutes. So therefore, we don't worry about it. So Friday night, when, when you are thinking, obviously, Bar Hashem, nobody's violating intentionally the of Bishel. But we're going to protect Bishel by saying, Friday night, if there is any chance you might raise the flame, you're going to do something to remind you to make it inaccessible. So if your food, ideally, is not yet fully cooked, you should use what we call a blech. Now, many people are going to be lenient on the Hananiah side. If it's not 100% cooked, it's very hard for most people to blech their oven because you would need to use a metal insert to cover where the heat source is. But, me'ikar adin, like we said from the rush, we're going to be lenient as long as it's 30 or 50% cooked. You can leave it in without bleching the food. This is Friday night, but Shabbos morning... Now we say, wait a second. Shabbos morning, we have two things to think about. First of all, we have to think about the question of, are we actually cooking something on Shabbos? If you're going to put something on a heat source, imagine you took a raw piece of chicken and you put it somewhere where it was going to get very hot. Let's say when we were living in the Heights, we had radiators in our apartment. Those radiators, you remember those things? They could get very hot. So if you took, theoretically, you could take a piece of schnitzel... And I'm sure some yeshiva guys have figured out how to do this on a Thursday night. You put the schnitzel on the radiator, <laughs> it can get really hot. That's not the normal way to cook. That's not Derech Bishel. But if you put a thin piece of schnitzel on a radiator on Shabbos, even though it's not normal, and the ra- how does the radiator get heated? From the steam, from the boiler. So it's told us to eish, the kind of extension, that would be Bishel actually. That would be raw chicken that's becoming cooked. So the first thing we're going to always think about when we're heating food up on Shabbos morning is, wait a second, is this bishul? I mean, that's the most serious thing we're going to worry about. If the food is not cooked, then you've got to worry about bishul. But the next thing you're going to think about is, well, wait a second, let's say I cooked it all on Erev Shabbos. Well, once it's cooked, we said that the malacha of Bishol is transforming something. Well, therefore, we have a principle. Ein bishul, achar bishul. There's no cooking after cooking. Once it's cooked, it's cooked. But that's not so simple. Number one, we pointed out before that there's a difference. There's big machluk is we've shown about this, whether it's true in a in lach, in a, in a uh, liquid item. But many Rishonim think that that's only true for a solid item, for a dry piece of schnitzel. But for soup, yesh bishol hachabishol according to many Rishonim. So you have to figure out, is this item that I want to heat up now it's, is it totally cooked? Okay, then I'm not going to have Bishel. But wait a minute, maybe it's liquidy. And if it's liquidy, maybe I'm going to have cooking after cooking on the liquid. So this is, gonna, this is also going to be a further question, how much liquid is liquid? Some say it depends on majority. Some say it depends on if there's a substantial amount of liquid. So let's say you made a chicken in a pan and there's a lot of liquid floating around in the bottom. So most posts are going to be machmir because there's a lot amount of liquid. So you should pour off the liquid or take out the chicken. Then you're not going to have to worry about bishel Bishal on the chicken. But here's going to be one more wrinkle. There's no bishel achar bishel, but there's a machlokas, we've shown them, there's a yireim. It says like this. Well, wait a second. Let's say you take, um, let's say you take a, a bagel, for example. What is the greatness of the bagel? How do you know when you have a good bagel, and I'm not chas casting aspersions on any bagels from any bagel stores or any bagel anything. I'm just telling you, we all know there's yesh bagels for yesh bagels. What is the simon? What is the, how can you tell if this bagel is mamish, a really delicious heilig bagel or if it's just a, a piece of dough that was shaped with a hole in it? What do they do to the bagels? Ah, what do they do first? They first they boil it, and afterwards they bake, they, it. they bake it. Why do they do that? Because then you get the moist, chewy, soft, fluffy, gummy inside, and the crispy outside. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? It's not. It's mamish. It's like unbelievable. So how do you get the bagel to be like a Rizigah bagel? It has to have Bishol and Afiyah. So the iraim comes along he says, Ah, I don't know if the Uram ever saw a bagel. But the iraim says, Ah, wait a second. We said there's no Bishol Akhar Bishol because you cook the piece of chicken then you're going to cook it again. You haven't done much. But what if you take something and you use one method of cooking, like boiling, which is bishal, and then you do Afiyah, dry heat. And there you see that the dry heat changes the quality of the food. So that becomes a really, and the Ramah is machmer for this, which is why you're going to find some people, depending, and here too, you have to figure out what the, what the excuse me, what the soup is in. Is it in a Kli Rishon? Is it in a clicheni? Was it Irui? But you're going to find people who are going to be machmer not to put challah into hot soup. Because challah in soup is actually the reverse bagel. It's dry cooked before and then it's being boiled after. Make it moist, yeah. Exactly. So that is, is a further thing you're going to think about on Shabbos Day is, okay, maybe this was already cooked, but now I'm going to cook it in a different method. We've got to figure out that. So that's the first thing you're going to think about Shabbos Day. Before you think heat anything up, you're going to think, is this item potentially going to be cooked any further? Okay, so let's say it's totally cooked, but now what do we still have? Chazal said that we still have these two, these concerns. We had the, the concern that we had Friday night, which is maybe you're going to adjust the dial. Come Shabbos morning, maybe you're going to adjust the dial on your challenge because you put it on there, maybe you're going to want to heat it up faster. But then there's a second concern. Here's the second concern. Different than Friday night. Friday night, the concern was when Shabbos started. The concern of Friday night, you said it before Shabbos. You set up the whole system. Shabbos day, you have a different concern. What's the concern Shabbos Day? That it looks like cooking. If you're just an an observer, an outside observer, you see a person walk into a kitchen, open an oven, stick in a pan, that looks like cooking. And if someone's not paying attention and they get in that habit, you know what, God forbid, they might do one Shabbos. If they're so used to walking into the kitchen and sticking things in the oven and taking it out of the oven, putting it in and taking it out, they might get in the habit of putting food in on Shabbos that God forbid is not fully cooked. So that's called a second desire, a second concern, which is only on Shabbos, that it's mirzi kemavasho, that it looks like it. So now, if you look on your chart, this is a section called hachazara, putting food back on the fire, or putting it into the oven. Now, there's a big machlokas about this, whether you're allowed to take it out of the fridge if it wasn't on the fire on Friday night. But let's assume that yes, for the moment. <coughs> You have to worry about, number one, bishol. is this item going to be cooked by what you do right now? Number two, shema yachate. maybe you're going to stoke the coals. So how do we prevent that? And number three, does it look like cooking? And that's going to be a problem even if it's, the flame is covered. Even if it's covered, you might be in a situation that it looks like cooking. So the best way, first of all, to heat up food on Shabbos, the best way is to keep the cooking process going. If all I'm doing is keeping it going, that's not going to be a problem. So for example, let's say I have a stove and on my stovetop I have a blech. If I have my blech on my stovetop, especially if it covers the knobs, so now am I I going to play with the the fire? No, because it's covered. I take the food off. I still hold it in my hand. I don't let go of it. I take whatever I want out and I intend to put it right back on. So I'm, I'm not going to adjust it because I'm just taking putting it right back, I'm just keeping the cooking going. So it's what we call o de biodo, it's still in your hand, it's in your mind, it's a covered flame and it's on top, it's not inside, if you put it into the oven that looks like cooking. So that's going to be your best bet. But what about other situations? How are you going to heat something else up if it's coming out of the fridge? So, one way to do that is on a Kadeira Malaya. I have a chalent pot. Let's say I have a crock pot. It's full with Cholent. And I take a piece of schnitzel out of the fridge. Does it look like cooking to take a piece of schnitzel and put it on top of a full crock pot? No. That doesn't look like cooking. Am I going to turn up the chalent pot? To, no. I was saying, no, push it not. So that's Mutal Similarly, there are many who are makeo on Hot plates, of course. Why is a hot plate uh, plata, plata shal Shabbat, right? That's what they call it, especially in Israel. They have these, right? They have the. They, the, plug, uh, it the they plug it into the wall. So let's go through our checklist. Is it bishel? Well, the, the item is going to be dry and fully cooked. Okay, not a problem. Uh, does it shemi Does it have an adjustable knob? Well, if it has an adjustable knob, then you're going to have to cover the heat source and the knob. But what can you do? You can yank out the knob before Shabbos, get rid of the adjustable. Or you can buy one. They have some in Israel, they're non adjustable. They just, by the way, some of those things are like super hot, so just yeah. be careful. Yeah, yeah. Very hot. Yeah. Very, very hot. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> very, good. very hot. And does it look like cooking? When was the last time you cooked on a hot plate? No one cooks on a hot plate. So that's why many poskim are mekel. Another example of this, Ravavadja is even more mekel than this, but this is Rabbi Willig's opinion. Ravavadja is even more mekel on the, on the plata. Let's say some people are mekel in the following case. I'm going through my checklist at the bottom. If you have a blech plus an upside-down pan. Some poskim are not into this idea, but some are. Why? Because if you go through the checklist, bishul the food is it's a dry schnitzel. It's deli roll. It's fully cooked. Am I going to adjust the knobs? No, because there's a blech. Does it look like cooking? No, because you have an upside-down pot on top of an already blech, already covered fire. Now, some postkim don't like this because they say the upside-down pot is just an extension of your blech. But there are many postkim who are lenient about this. Warming drawers. So there are some postkim who are making them warming drawers. If you have a non-adjustable, or if it's adjustable and you, you foil the warming drawer... The thing you have to worry about with the warming drawer is you have to figure out the temperature adjustment when you open and close the drawer. That's going to be a a thing you have to figure out. But in in general, no one cooks in a warming drawer. So perhaps then there's no mechzi because you don't put it even though the warming drawer is inside. That's part of Rabbi Willey discusses it in here. Cooking with a timer or asking an Jew is going to be a problem because... That timer, not everybody thinks this, but Rav Schechter assumes, and we related to it last week in grama. That timer is going to set up a situation, even if you assume that it's grama. But when the food is now kicking on while the oven is on, if there's no blech, you could have the problem of the gezirimid rabbanan of which is an interesting question. When there's, some, there's a shayla about putting a coffee pot on a timer, this is one of those related issues. But the last thing that you want to think about, and this, I brought you the letter on the back from the Star Cave. Is the idea of Shabbos mode, Sabbath mode? This is very important because some people, if they didn't go through all these ideas, they didn't necessarily realize what exactly does it mean that the sarkay is our case, telling you your oven is Sabbath mode. Look what it says. However, we have during this process we have in many cases eliminated lights, icons, tones, digital displays provided for time bake without tones and icons and temperature adjustment on Yom Tov. However. These companies have chosen to name this feature the Sabbath mode, and we are concerned from a halachic point of view that there may be some misunderstanding as to the proper use of of these ovens on Shabbos. We'd like to, therefore, make some clarifications. So this is very important because many of us have these kinds of ovens. Number one, no adjustment to the temperature is permitted on Shabbos, even in the Shabbos mode. Because that's Havara. That's not even the Lach ca- cooking That's causing the fire to go up. Number two, all food must be fully cooked and placed in the oven before Shabbos. Now, they're machmer on the warming drawer question because that's tocho. It looks like cooking. Shabbos morning, you can't put something into a Shabbos mode oven. You can't put anything in there. Number three, Rabbi Heineman assumes, not everybody agrees with this, Rabbi Heineman assumes that once on Friday night you can open the door and take out all the food but not more than that because he's concerned that when you close the door that's going to trigger the sensor once the cold air comes in to start heating the thing up again. But again, first of all, even if it's grama, grama we said for Ashkenazim is only mutter b'makom hefsid. and this might be more concerned than grama. This might be a psycratia or a suffolk psycratia. So there's more discussion about this. Number two, number four, the controls of an oven that is left on for Shabbos should be covered with something like a piece of aluminum foil. Be covered not to cover the vents. Be careful not to cover the vents. But the point is, is that when you use these appliances, the Shabbos mode, you need to still go through in your mind all of the checklists of is this Friday afternoon or is it Shabbos Day. Am I worried about Shahia of leaving it on? Am I worrying about Chazara? Because once it's Chazara, I have to worry about merci Kimavashal. Is this the food... One, Correct. The last one, if your food is not fully cooked, then you should be machmir. But even that, by the way, we pointed out, the me'ikra adin. Once it's macho ben drusoi, you can rely on Hananya and not blech the oven. meikradin. But the point is, is that whenever you use any of these things, you have to think through all the halachic process. So again... This is just literally some of the things that we need to think about when we practically deal with food, heating up food, preparing food when it comes to Shabbos. But perhaps the takeaway is reminding us of the capacity for our personal transformation through the koach of Eish from our own passion and enthusiasm for the Rabboni Shalom.